0: So, we're starting a new series of messages today, and I just want to kind of give you the background as to what what brought us to this point. Um, I'm trying to uh, so okay. let am going give you back up a little bit. And last school year, uh, Savannah Russell, one of our youth, uh, sent me a text message, and it basically said, "You know, Pastor Tom, I have to teach." the lesson at my FCA, at my school uh, this Friday, can you help me? And I said, sure. And so I texted her back, you know, a couple of verses to choose from, and she picked one, and um, then I, you know, kind of gave a few bullet points for her to follow, and she was just thrilled, right? And then uh, a couple of weeks later, uh, or about a month later, I get another text message. You know, hey, I'm teaching at FCA again this week. Can you help me? And uh, so I, I helped her again, and um, and it got me thinking. Uh, now, you know, we have other kids who are involved in, in ministries at their schools and who are called upon to uh, do these sorts of things. And so how can we equip our Youth to be able to uh, lead a Bible study effectively and in a manner that's glorifying to God, uh, where they don't have to text their pastor every time. Uh, you know, not that I mind that. Please text me; it's great. I I enjoy it. But uh, um, so as this school year began, I, I had a, a mom in our youth group who challenged me last year. You know, we need to get our kids more involved in the in the leadership of the bible study and I reflected back on some of my time in youth ministry in my past and realized that that mom was spot on that we really do need to get our kids more engaged and more involved in the leadership of our bible studies and so in order to do that um, it's helpful to give those kids a few resources a few tools if you will to be able to approach this idea of preparing a Bible study. Um, and so then, this, you know, as this fall was approaching, and I'm thinking about sermon series, it occurred to me, you know, it would probably be good for me to kind of go back and, and review some of this stuff. And it would probably be good for you to uh, have some of those tools in your tool belt as well. And so, this is really your pastor, um, you could call it multitasking, it's really laziness, right, instead of doing church and then a separate youth training uh, event for training Bible study leaders in our youth group, I'm just going to do it all at once. But here's my hope, that what I, what I lay out for you, what we, what we sort of go through this fall together, will be helpful to you when you open your Bible On your own. You'll have a framework for understanding what's there. When you feel called to lead a small group Bible study in your home or or here or anywhere else, uh, you have some tools that you can use to kind of give you a framework for how to do that. If your kids ask you a question uh, about uh, life or the Bible, uh, you have a way of sort of parsing a passage and helping them understand what it means and how it relates to our lives. And so the idea is really that this is for all of us, Um, but of course precipitated by an emerging need within our youth group for our youth to be more prepared to handle these sorts of responsibilities when they arise. So the series will be called One Story, And we'll be looking at the Bible from the vantage point of a single narrative with an eye towards being able to make sense out of whatever we find when we open our Bibles. So, one story, making sense of God's Word, and we're going to begin part one will be called One Voice. That this idea that when we open our Bible, we're listening for the voice of God, for how He speaks to us. This is a basically a study of, of understanding where God's word comes from and what it is that he's saying to us when he speaks to us through his word. So there's sort of two sides of that coin, uh, the voice of God in bringing the Bible about and then the voice of God in, in bringing out of us what the Bible calls out of us as God's children. So I want to begin in a book in the New Testament. You kind of find it in the back of your New Testament, uh, called Second Peter. Uh, Peter was one of the apostles who who spent uh, his you know about three years we think uh, in discipleship with Christ as Christ uh, was on this earth leading the twelve apostles um, and others. And so Peter has a sort of unique perspective on uh, the Bible. And on Jesus as sort of the the focal point of scripture. And you'll see that as we as we read. Um, But I want to start in 2 Peter chapter 1, and then we'll talk about that a little bit and we'll jump around to some other passages. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you. The power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we, I'm sorry, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, simple beginning point. Your Bible comes from one source. It comes from one source, and that is the heart of God. As God spoke his word, through uh, his prophets into existence, um, the Bible comes from one source. That means that the Bible is God's perspective on this life, the afterlife, heaven, hell, earth, and everything else. Um, it is how we understand who God is, what he thinks, how he feels about us or anything else, the Bible is, at the end of the day, God's perspective. It describes, as we see Peter describing, it describes real events. Peter says, I was an eyewitness. I saw this with my own eyes. And he's referring to an event that's recorded in Matthew chapter 17, um, where uh, we we often call it the transfiguration if you open your Bible it probably has a little title above that section called the transfiguration of Christ Um, but Jesus is with only a few of his disciples and uh, there appear with him I think it was Moses and Elijah is that right? I get that right? I should have read that better I think that's right (laughs) just going with my gut there Um, and the other apostles, Peter and the other apostles who were there, just like they're they're floored, and they 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 literally fall to the ground and they're shaking in fear. Um, and the voice of God comes from heaven and says over Jesus as he is he's got like you know Moses and Elijah on his right and his left, and the voice of God says, "This is my Son with whom I am well pleased." Um, And I think he adds in Matthew, you would do well to listen to him or something like that. Which actually, interestingly, Peter kind of repeats in another way in the same passage. Um, The events that Peter describes, that all of the biblical authors describe, are real events. Um, They're god Revealing himself through history, through time, through experience to his people. Um, Peter goes out of his way to say, We're not making this up. We didn't imagine this. We're not creating mythology. Um, We actually saw this with our own eyes. And Peter and each of the others who were there um, were either executed for their faith or imprisoned for their faith. And had the opportunity to say, no, 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 we made it all up. We did. We made it up. Uh, Can I go now? Right? And that would have been the deal. If you recant from your uh, blasphemy, as the Roman Empire would have considered it, uh, you could go home. And none of them chose that fate. They all said, you know what? We saw it with our own eyes. And... You can, you can execute me, but you can't change what actually happened. Uh, Peter, we, we understand from, uh, not from Scripture, but from uh, what little history we have of his death, that when he was taken to be crucified, he actually said to his executioners, um, or we, we believe that he said to his executioners, um, I'm not worthy to die in the same manner as my Savior. And so the uh, Roman soldiers who were crucifying him said, fine. Nailed him to the cross and hung the cross upside down. Um, and, uh, you know, takes a, a lot longer and it's a much different and more painful way to go. Uh, but Peter basically said, I saw it. I was there. Um, do whatever you want, but I don't want to be, um, I don't want to be killed the same way that Jesus was because that's kind of his thing, and I want that to stay his thing, and so do whatever you have to to me, um, but yeah, okay. So the Bible is God's perspective on life. It describes Real events, not human opinions. Um, You know, each author that contributes to Scripture has a perspective from which he or possibly even she was writing. Um, But it's not a collection of human perspective and opinion. It's all driven by the Spirit of God as he leads those authors to record what's here over time. Um, The Bible is God's perspective. The Bible is God revealing himself to us. Um, You know, some of you uh, are married and you understand what I'm about to say. Um, You know, How does it go? Um, you know, honey, why didn't you do the dishes? Well, you didn't tell me to do the dishes. Well, you should just know. You should just see them, right? Does this happen to anybody else's house ever? No, of course not, right? Um, you should just see them and know. I, I want you to, you know, to know and and, and to figure it out. Um You know, and it could be the dishes or any infinite number of other things, right? And over time, I get to know my wife. I'm not saying I get to the point where I can actually intuitively do the dishes, right? I I still prefer to be told, but that's just me. Um, But we get to know each other as we relate to each other what is important to us we have to spend time together we have to this I think the word is communicate. I don't know how to spell that apparently. huh yeah, my wife says I don't know what the word means so um, And this is this is much the same in our relationship with God. We have to spend time with him. we have to listen, we have to communicate, we have to be engaged and this is, how he does that this is how he speaks to us this is how we listen to him Um, the Bible is his way of revealing to us what is important to him Um, and the whole thing points to Christ that's the essence of the whole story that it's it's working towards one conclusion that is wrought by one person um the the set what we call the second person of the trinity um jesus the son of god very god himself as well as fully human this whole book is aimed at revealing the love of one person um you know, there's quite a bit more in that little passage that is worth uh, digesting, but for now, we're just going to kind of leave it at that, and we're going to move to a, a little bit farther into the book of Second Peter uh, in chapter 3, where I'm going to read verses 15 through 18, and we're going to see a slightly uh, different angle on what we're talking about. So 2 Peter 3, beginning in verse 15. And, and let me just, sorry, a little context. Uh, Peter is actually talking about um, a couple of things, but really kind of the end when Jesus comes back and the, the suffering that we go through until that time. And he's talking about, you know, sort of God coming and, and making everything right He talks about the new heavens and the new earth that will be established at the return of Christ. And and so that's the context in which Peter is speaking. And then he sort of lays out these words at the conclusion of those thoughts on the end of time. He says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability." but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So, Peter does a couple of interesting things here. Uh, I want to first just reiterate that he's, he's talking about something else, right? He's talking about the end of time and the patience with which we endure everything from now until that time, okay? But in the midst of that conversation, he reveals some very interesting truths about the scriptures. And I want us to take a look at, at sort of what he says. Did you see that little phrase, other scriptures in there? Okay, so... That is huge. It, it says that, that one of the twelve apostles recognizes that the all of the Old Testament is Scripture. That was not in dispute at the time Peter wrote. Um, but that Paul and his writings are also part of what's considered Scripture. Okay? And Peter has already told us a little bit of his view of Scripture uh, in chapter one. And he, he basically includes the writings of Paul. And he says also that Paul is his brother, which sort of places a level of equality between Peter and Paul. Uh, we'll leave out Mary for now. No folk music today, sorry. Um, but uh, he establishes a level of equality between Peter and Paul, which essentially says, you know, Paul's writings are Scripture. The Old Testament is Scripture, Paul's writing is on par or equal with the Old Testament, and Paul is my brother. And so he essentially is saying, you know, he's not saying this quite, we can deduce from this that what Peter is writing is Scripture, what Paul has written is Scripture, what has been carried down through the millennia prior to Christ was Scripture. That is what we call the Old Testament. And this is an enormous statement, Um, it's it's just like boiling over with implication that God wasn't finished at the end of the Old Testament. There was something more he wanted to reveal, and that something was actually a someone, and he used uh, various agents— to bring his word to bear on our hearts. Your Bible, while it comes from one source, that being the heart of God, your Bible comes through many agents. Many different human agents are involved in the compiling of what we consider scripture. That is to say, God spoke through regular people just like us he moved us at various times in redemptive history to write down to record to remember to pass down if you will what is most important that uh, that we know and understand and so your bible comes through many agents it's god speaking through regular people to impart as peter says divine wisdom and to dispel human confusion. Um, Imagine what we would have if every hundred years or so, somebody just sat down and poured out what they think, right? Uh, Over the span of several thousand years, I would just guess, you would get a wide array of crazy opinions, Instead, what, what we find here is this sort of accumulation of points on a graph that lead to one clear conclusion. That God loves us, that he sent his son to enter our world. God became one of us, that he offered his life on the cross that we might find forgiveness, and that he rose from the dead to, to establish and secure our hope for eternity. God spoke through regular people, and God speaks to regular people through his word. That's what it's here for. Um, this is extremely important. Let me be abundantly clear. Everyone listening? You do not need me to understand this book. You do not need me to understand this book. Um, My hope, my hope is that I am helpful to you in your understanding of scripture. I hope that's the case. You do not need me to understand this book. God moves by his Holy Spirit to open our hearts, to shape us, to grow us, to challenge us, to change us through his word. It's the work of his Holy Spirit in us that brings about uh, God's will in our lives. But let's just say for now, God speaks to regular people through his word in order to grow us in the grace and knowledge of Christ. It is not just a point of interesting information that Peter says that the whole point is that we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just a cool thing. It is the point. Um, I need Jesus. You need Jesus. The whole world needs to understand God's love through Jesus Christ. And it is as we engage God through his word that our hearts change, our hearts grow in their understanding of God's love for us through Jesus Christ. Um, Let me say this. In all Go back 150 years, and you're a Christian, and you go off to Yale or Harvard or wherever for college, and uh, there you are, and the scholarly consensus at that time was that the overwhelming bulk of the facts and data in this book were made up. It just sounds too fantastic it sounds too impossible it sounds like mythology you hear Peter refer to that right Um, and so the scholarly consensus 150 years ago was that you know well we don't know uh, that Moses ever existed and we don't know that Pontius Pilate even existed and we don't even know that Jesus existed okay and these were these were prominent scholarly opinions 150 years ago. Um, since then, there's been this thing we call archaeology. And well, I don't know, about 50 years ago, or maybe in the 60s. Ah, that's 50 years ago now. Huh, wow. Mm, yeah. eek, eek. Um, didn't mean to. Sorry, having a moment. <laughs> um, in the 60s, some, some, some class digging around in Palestine, you know, it's like pulls up a rock, and it's flat, and it's got some writing on it, and they get out their brush, and they're dusting it off, and it literally says Pontius Pilate. And I don't remember what else it says on the rock. It doesn't matter what else it says on the rock, right? Because up until that day, the scholarly consensus was Pilate did never never existed, that it was a fabrication of this book in order to sort of make the story work. Um, oops, right? And and so my my idea of scholarship is you you keep all the possibilities on the table, right? That's good scholarship. You don't you don't rule things out when there's no evidence, okay? And then. Because then when the evidence shows up, and you've already ruled out something that the evidence rules back in, it makes you look like not so much of a scholar, okay? So, archaeology for 140 some odd years has been just scouring the Middle East, just rock after rock and shard of pottery after shard of pottery, um, and every single thing they have found has done one thing it, it has affirmed what's here that these were real people in real time making valid observations about what god was doing in the midst of his people um to be fair there's there's one there's one uh, 200 year gap at about 1400 bc that between what archaeology has found and what the bible says in terms of the timeline okay and we're talking primarily about the exodus from egypt um and so i won't say i, I would never say that that you know that archaeology has proven that, that that something is wrong or it just it just creates a big question mark and we have to kind of go i don't know maybe it happened two years Different than what the Bible says it did. Or maybe archaeology is a little whacked. I don't know. Okay. Do what? The what? The Catholics. Oh, they're hiding it. It's a conspiracy. There's a conspiracy. There it is. All right. Uh, it's, it's buried in a catacomb under the Vatican. Yes. All right. Um, yes, very good. We, that, that could be a lot of fun. Um, all that to say... This is this book came through a variety of people just like us, and it, and it's written to people just like us, and and that has huge implications. We'll talk about this more in a couple of weeks, but um, you know that that it this can be understood no matter how obtuse the passage is that you're trying to to work your way through. It was just it was written by regular people. It was written to regular people. These are real events. This is not, uh, you know, nobody dropped acid or peyote and wrote a bunch of weird stuff down, okay? Although, if you read some of the Apostle Paul's later stuff, it's a little whacked. Um, okay, but I'm not accusing him of anything. Okay, your Bible comes from one source, the heart of God. It comes has come through many agents, many people just like you and me, and uh, now I want to sort of read a more famous passage, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and just work through this rather quickly, I hope. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured yet from them all. The Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Underline that. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Through many agents and stands as one authority. It is the voice of God speaking into our lives and it speaks into our circumstances, even in the midst of difficulty. God doesn't say He's gonna gonna keep our lives from pain, from suffering, from confusion, from despair. He says that He speaks into the reality of our lives. That he, his voice is giving shape to our circumstances. Even in the midst of difficulty and especially through the lives of others. I I love, you know, so most of the time when you hear this passage, you just get verses 16 and 17. But look at verses 14 and 15. Continue in what you've learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it. God's word is related from person to person. This is is God connecting us to himself and to each other. People matter. It's it's about the connections that God is making as his word is established in our lives. And we, we see the importance of God's word, because we see it at work in the lives of other people. That's what Peter is saying, is is that the way that we understand the authority of Scripture is that we see it in the heart and the life of someone we know and respect. We see it at work. We see how it applies to life through others. Scripture speaks into our circumstances, and it moves us toward wholeness. Um, you know, say what you want about where the book comes from. It's what it does to us and in us at the end of the day that shows up in people's lives. When we are changed and humbled and grown in grace and knowledge of Christ other people see that they respond to that and ultimately it doesn't matter whether they agree with us about the source and authority of this book what matters is that what this book does to our own hearts leaves a lasting impression on the lives of others that they see God at work in us and they go well I may not agree with everything that she believes, but dang it if I don't see grace coming from her heart uh, in tough situations. So God's word speaks into our circumstances. It moves us toward wholeness by grounding us in the love of Christ. That is the point, and we will we will bring that out more as this series goes on. Um, God's word grounds us in the love of Christ and it shapes us through the crucible of life as things get difficult as life goes dark we have a light we have a lamp to shine hope and love and grace on whatever is transpiring in our lives we Have the very voice of God spoken through regular people to regular people in order to give shape to how we live. We have a reliable voice that is an authority for our lives in how we relate to God and to others because he has spoken to us through his word. I want to just sort of read a couple of verses to bring the whole thing full circle from the gospel of john i'm going to read verse 1 and then verse 14 in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth It's all about Jesus, the whole thing. He is the word. The word comes from him. It's about him, and it's intended to draw us closer to him. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that through his life and death and resurrection, we know what love is. Lord, drill that down into the core of our hearts that we might know you more fully through the love of your son as we open your word and spend time with you there. Speak to us, grow us in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen.